All right. No compromise. That's where we're at today. We're looking at two letters today real quickly. The first one was kind of short, so we're putting two of them together. And they actually share some similar content. And it has to do with making sure that as we move through life, we do not let go of our first love. And what's that look like? That's what these letters are going to share with us is a challenge of how to live with no compromise. All right. So we're going to start out in Revelation chapter 2 verse 8. Revelation 2 8. We got the ushers coming forward. They've got Bibles in their hands. So if you need a Bible and you want to follow along with us, we're just going to go verse by verse. If you need a Bible, just raise your hands and they'll get one to you. Okay. Just raise your hands and the ushers will get one to you. That's Revelation 2 verse 8. Remember the series is called listen up. Why? Well, because the end of each letter says, let he who has an ear hear the spirit speaking to the churches. Let he who has an ear, let him hear. Okay. So our challenge is to learn question. I'm setting you up now. This is ready to speak. Ready? Get ready. Question. Are you ready to learn? Then listen up. Here's a word for us today. All right. All right. We're going to turn to Revelation 2.8. Remember, we're breaking this down into four sections. Uh, it's Christ's character. And then we're going to look at the commendation and then the criticism. And then finally, we're going to look at the closure. Okay. And we're going to do that each week just to keep some regularity on looking at the letters. So today, Christ's character starting out. We're just going to go to verse 8. He says, And the angel of the, of the church in Smyrna write, The words... Of the first and the last who died and came to life and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life now remember we talked about this before the word angel there it actually is the Greek word that you'd use for an angel one that would go from God to man but it's also just a general word that means messenger okay and so you always have to decide when you see that word is this a spiritual messenger you know the angel the kind we picture with wings or is this a man messenger in this case it's definitely speaking to a man-based messenger why do we say that well because it's written in the scripture for them this isn't god speaking to them directly just saying this is what you need to know this is god recording in the scripture and saying this is for the messenger to the church at smyrna another name for that messenger would be a pastor kind of hits home for me here's a message to the pastor at the church at smyrna well what is smyrna that was a church that was about 35 miles north of Ephesus. It's sitting in Asia Minor. All of us are like, okay, I don't know my geography. That means nothing to me, right? Okay, so this is a church that's sitting over there in, in the um, Holy Land area, okay, and broader. And this is a church that's 35 miles away from the church we just talked about last week that was challenged to not lose their first love. Consider that, 35 miles apart, not very far away, Bloomington away, right, kind of thing, all right? So Smyrna, close by, large and wealthy, doing pretty well in general, but the church, the church was under fire. And we're going to see that as we go through the letter here. All right. So notice the statement, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. The first and the last, Jesus Christ, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Like I bookend everything. Everything is inside of my grasp. Jesus Christ. Okay, I own all I watch over all I am sovereign over all I'm telling you this from beginning to end It's all about me That's the jesus christ. We worship and serve. Okay Then it says who died And came to life 
sacrificial, powerful, complete, conquering, unbelievable hope who died and rose again. He died, meaning he paid a price for us that he did not have to pay. Absolutely sacrificial, giving, loving. But but more than just his death on the cross and his shed blood for you and me, a replacement payment we absolutely need. We cannot live on our own without it in, in relationship with him. Amen? Like the only relationship we have with Christ is through faith in his shed blood and that as a replacement payment. Lord, please forgive me and wash me clean. He gives us hope through his shed blood. The death is absolutely essential, but notice it doesn't stop there. It says, and came to life. There is victory over death. Jesus Christ has conquered death. And we have hope of eternal life in him because of who he is. Our king, our savior, our Messiah, our Lord, absolutely in charge of all, absolutely giving us hope for all eternity. That's who we can worship. Christ's character then, first point, is worship him who is the beginning and end of all and speaks with all authority. Worship him who is the beginning and end of all and speaks with all authority. We see this first and last piece here, the speaks with all authority. Well, let's jump forward to the next letter to Pergamum, verse 12. Again, it says, and to the angel of the church, now in Pergamum, and Pergamum is just another 20 miles from Smyrna. So these guys are all hanging out around the same place there. Okay. Pergamum was one wicked town. There was some nasty stuff going on. There was a lot of pagan idolatry going on. It was, it was not worth celebrating. <laughs> Cultic, unbelievably dark. Okay. Usually those things work out timing wise real well. Not so much today. All right. Pergamum. So the statement there is, and to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write the words of him who has the sharp two edged sword. The sharp two-edged sword. What I love about this phrase is we see it throughout scripture. We see it in a number of spots. Actually, we see Hebrews 4 talking about a double-edged sword, right? And there it's talking about the very word of God, the written word of God, and the truth of his word, and the power of his word being like a weapon, a double-edged sword. But we also see it in Revelation 19. When Christ comes as the returning king, when he comes on the white horse to reign over all, it says there is a white horse, but there is also a sword from his mouth. And with that sword, he puts all in their place. Check it out. Jesus Christ and his double-edged sword, the speaking word of Jesus, will end all rebellion. His spoken word started The entire universe, right? Genesis 1, and we see in Colossians 1 that Jesus is a part of that creation. His spoken word starts all of creation. Oh, and his spoken word, Revelation 19, 15, will end the rebellion. And he's saying right here, just so you know, Pergamum, that's the God you serve. Authority and his word is his weapon. Trust him. Know him. Be submissive to him. That's your God. May we worship the one who is the beginning and the end of all, who speaks with with all authority. Better timing there. Who speaks with all authority. Our God, our King. So here's my question for you. How are you doing with Jesus Christ being 
your end all be all. How are you doing with saying the beginning of each day, the middle of each day and the end of each day? Lord, it's going to be all about you. I'm hearing from you. I want to I want to worship you. I want you to get all the attention and glory. May you be satisfied with my life in you. Is he your king? Apparently he's theirs. Is he your everything? Do you respect his word? This is his word. Man, this word will light you up. And all too often we go to his word and we just read through the black and white or maybe a little bit of red even, right? And as we're reading, we're just kind of pouring through it and we get done and we slam it closed and we're like, didn't change me. We missed something. This is the unbelievable, powerful word of the almighty God. May we trust in him and go after him with all we've got. What's most important in your life? That's the question. Notice before the letters even get into any detail, that's the first question he's asking. I want you to grasp who your Christ is. Get ready because it's going to be important how we respond. Okay. So that's Christ's character. Second commendation. Here we go. Stay true to Christ. Even in the midst of suffering and persecution. Stay true to Christ. Even in the midst of suffering and persecution. We're going to go back and we're going to start in verse nine with the church at Smyrna. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Okay, let's break it down. I know. Remember we talked about that word last week. It doesn't mean this accumulating knowledge. It doesn't mean this growing learning of. That's not the word he used there. He's absolutely saying this. The complete package of information I have on you that I've had from eternity past, the total knowledge I have of you knows this already about you. Like, I don't need to learn it. I've already got it. I know, complete package of knowledge, your tribulation and your poverty. Tribulation, your struggles, your sorrows, your pains. I know it's not going well and it hurts. Your poverty, in fact, extreme poverty, they were lacking greatly. They were lacking food, they were lacking shelter, they were lacking clothing, they were lacking physically greatly. I know of your tribulation and your poverty. Notice what he says now. I know of your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. What? What's he saying? Well, he's clearly saying this. Look, I know of your physical turmoil, but I'm telling you, you have a spiritual wealth. You have an amazing wealth in the kingdom domain. When we look at what you've got from an eternity perspective, forever taken into consideration, man, you got it going on. Like you have a Messiah Savior who will be with you for all eternity. You have been adopted into the king's kingdom. You are his child. You have a name that he has called you by. When you came to know him, the angels celebrated. You will be with him forever and every day will be better than the one before it. As you're constantly being blown away with his greatness, you have that in store for you. I know your tribulation and your suffering. 
but you're rich. God's seeing the whole timeline. And the small of it, it's really insignificant when you look at the vastness of eternity. I see you as rich. He says, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they're Jews but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. I know that you're being dissed on. That's what he's saying. I know you're being spoken ill of. Slander. Like when they're saying something about you and it's not even true. I mean, there's times where somebody says something about you and as much as you prefer it not be said, it's actually true. Right? This is one where it's not even true. They're speaking about you. They're blowing your name out and they're trying to ruin you and corrupt you. I know it's going on. Oh, and I know the ones doing it. This is red letters. So it's God's word, right? This is Jesus saying this about him. And he says, look, I know the ones that are talking about you. They say they're Jews, but they're not. Oh, they may have the blood, but they don't have the heart. Like they're missing it. What are they missing? It says, well, they're a synagogue out of Satan. Man, let that word settle for a moment. A synagogue of Satan. You meet regularly. Nice place, nice building, sacrifices, and the word being shared at some level from the Old Testament. And and yet, who's being worshipped there? Well, self and the God of this world. You've denied Messiah. You've walked away from the Creator God. The synagogue of Satan is right in front of you. Uh, Trust me, they didn't call themselves that. But that was God's view. Man, oh man, do we have to watch out where we stand with him and what we're trying to accomplish. All too often, what looks biblical can be so self-absorbed and worldly, it's ridiculous. And he's saying, do not be a part of it. I know you're under pressure from it. Hang in there. Hang in there. Well, what if I am under pressure? What if I am being beat up? And I, and I don't know which way to turn it on. How do I handle this stuff? And okay, so three steps to handling pressure. And it's right here before us. We'll start in verse 10. Three steps to handling suffering and persecution and pressure. First, verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. In other words... Hey, have a healthy respect of me. Don't worry about mankind and don't worry about circumstances of this world. Keep your eyes fixed on me. Hebrews 12, just focus right here. No fear of the little one, man running around. He's nothing in comparison to me. First step, put your fear in the right spot. Fearing God, not fearing man or circumstances surrounding man. Second step. Expect struggles. Notice what it says here. Behold. That word means like, check it out. Look at this. Uh, you wouldn't believe it. Right? Behold. The devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. He's saying, I know what's going on and I know what's coming up. Trust me. Expect it. There's going to be some testing. There's going to be some struggles. And he's saying specifically to them, you're going to be tested by being thrown into prison. There's going to be a period of 10 days and, you know, you have to answer to that. Well, is this a literal 10 days or a metaphorical 10 days? And, you know, it doesn't exactly say, and I would say around it, there's nothing that would indicate it's not literal. It could be that it's going to be an absolute 
nasty 10 days. It's going to be a rough week and a half and it's coming up and I'm telling you, it's going to be the talk of the town. It could be that it's that. It could be that 10 days also represents some sort of period of time that's going to be longer than that week. It's going to be, there's going to be a living out of the hurt that's going on over a time period where you're going to be tested and the devil is the one who's behind it. Remember that synagogue of Satan and the devil is throwing you in. There's probably going to be a working together. Watch out. The slander is probably going to move to suffering. You're going to be placed into prison and tested. So expect it and know that this world is going to bring, hey, if I'm following my savior and my savior suffered, hmm, I wonder what's going to happen to me if I, right? Somehow, how did this happen in Christianity? Somehow the word now in the 2000s is, hey, become a believer. Your life will be perfect. It'll be so easy now, right? And, and, and come to know him and trust him and he'll give you all the desires of your heart and it's somehow God becomes this magic genie and Christianity becomes this self-help mechanism. And it's nothing more than me running around being all happy about me all day, every day. That's what this world's about. And we all say, yeah, eh, right? Got to say it with me. We all say, eh. like, it isn't that. Please don't walk around saying it's all about me. And how come I became a believer and now I'm suffering? Because we're supposed to expect it. The world doesn't get who Jesus Christ is. And as we put our hearts into his hand and we go hard after him, you make no sense. Did you know that? Their sense, worldly sense, but to them it makes no sense. And so we need to expect that there will be struggles. How do we handle struggles? Well, first and foremost, you don't fear man or circumstances. Second, expect that there will be struggles. And third, It says, be faithful unto death. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful to the one who is faithful. Find yourself ready to follow through no matter what. I'm going to drive through this no matter what's going on in my life, no matter how much it hurts, no matter what slander and mock and separation, and I am with my Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm going to be faithful to him who is faithful to me. Amen? Like that's what it's talking about. Be faithful. How far? Unto death. Hello. Like America's not really experiencing that right now. We're like, be faithful unto a little bit of mockery at work. Right? Like America's kind of an easy spot right now to be faithful. And in fact, you maybe even argue it's a hard place to be faithful because pressure seems to always grow us up. Right? It says, be faithful unto death. And God's response in the end, I will give you the crown of life. There's going to be a reward for those who follow through faithfully with him. Notice this crown of life does not mean I'll give you eternal life. That's not what it's meaning. You already have eternal life if you're a follower of him and you're his child. This is saying, when you show up in heaven, because you are, man, do I have a reward for you. The crown of life. Not sure what it looks like. Not sure what it even is. Is that a metaphor or not? But I can tell you this. There's a reward for those who absolutely trust and follow in him here on earth. This is a small time frame. Everybody say small. Small. But eternity is a big time frame. Everybody say big. big. Let's keep the eternity 
in mind. Like that's what he's saying. The more you do it, the more we'll be able to suffer well. All right, that's Smyrna being praised. Let's stay in the commendation here. Stay true to Christ even in the midst of suffering. Let's jump to Pergamum, verse 13. He says, I know where you dwell. Remember this word, no, right? It's not I'm learning. It's I've got this full grasp and I've always had it. I know where you dwell, where you're living. I know where you abide, where Satan's throne is. Wow, the one guys, the set in Smyrna, like they're in the synagogue of Satan. They're hanging out with that thing around them, right? These guys, they have Satan's throne right there. Are you seeing the commonality in the two? They're living right where Satan is at work, big time at work. I know that you dwell where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name. You did not deny my faith. You basically stayed faithful to me to the end. You held fast my name. It literally means to clench with all you've got, to hold fast. Go ahead and do it with me. Just raise your hand up and just clench tight. Just tight. Hold fast. Don't just, that little wimpy hold, okay? Clench it tight. Holding fast to the point where your fingers almost hurt. Holding fast. That's what he's saying. You're doing that with my name. Yeah, now we're all like, doggone, that hurt, right? You hurt yourself. (laughs) Hold fast to the name. Of Jesus Christ cling to him and hope in him Lord Jesus You've got my attention. You've got my all May I hold fast and stay true to you. May I cling to you with all I've got Notice it says you did not deny my faith Even in the days of Antipas my faithful witness who was killed among you where Satan dwells You did not deny my faith. There were people who were saying, oh yeah, I trust in that Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. Boom, dead. How about you? And the guy next to him is going, uh, I think so. I think I'm on that. Why? Is that kind of typical, this thing here? And they're like, well, yeah, it is actually. You say you're with him, we're going to take you out. We think it's heresy. You're dead. Then I hold fast with him. That's what they did. Are we ready to stand up for Jesus Christ whenever, wherever, however, in the midst of suffering and battle, saying, Lord, you're my king. I'm holding fast and not denying you. Antipas, we don't know much about him. All we know is he's called my faithful witness. Check out. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. Revelation 1, verse 5. Notice that it says, I'll just start in verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who was to come and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before the throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Are you hearing it? The title that Antipas was given is my faithful witness. The title that Christ had is the faithful witness. This is what was said by John. I'm telling you this. He has the honor of carrying one of the titles of Jesus Christ. He stood with him. He carries that title with him. Faithful witness. How about you? How about me? Are we ready to stand and take that title in the midst of really what's pretty small? Maybe it's some worker or some friend. Maybe it's a family member. 
Maybe it's a neighbor where they just like to mock you a little bit for standing for Jesus Christ. Are you ready to stand for him and be able to be called his faithful witness? Hear me on this. There's times where people will absolutely call us weird and it's because we're being weird. Don't be that person. Okay. Like there's times where you can be a distraction and you can be a little bit too hot and heavy on the pressing and the pushing and the anger and the frustration and the militancy and the, and all of a sudden you're not a normal individual who's got a passion for Jesus Christ. You're strange. And then they're mocking you for being strange. You got to take that one on and just say, yeah, I'm strange then. Like seriously, don't be the belligerent, take them to task, hurt them and offend them. Now they're offended with me and they're slandering me. It's because I love Jesus. No, it's because you're being a jerk, right? Let's be careful of that. It's not be offensive and then blame it on Jesus. He's like, I didn't say to do that. That's not where I want you, right? Seriously, take a stand that has class. Take a stand that is absolute integrity. Take a stand that shows your love for Jesus Christ and your love for that person. Take a stand that would honor him. And then you can be called my faithful witness. All right? That's the challenge. In the end, we are living amongst Satan and Satan's work. We are living in a hostile world. And we do have a chance to recognize that suffering has a purpose. And we can bring glory to him. There was a, there was a guy who uh, was on a tour. He was touring an orange grove. And uh, these orange trees were being um, kind of fostered and nurtured. They were right at their tail end. But some of the trees were looking pretty bad. And some of them were looking great. And the, the guy on the tour said, what's up? What gives? What's going on with this? And he said, well, actually, we're in a drought. We're in a nasty drought. And... Uh, they're not surviving well. He said, well, why do these look so good? And he says, I came on as the gardener. I planted these. Okay, here's how I planted them. When I planted them and watered them, there were days where I just withheld water. Even though we had water, I withheld a little. It caused their roots to drive deeper. These trees have deep roots. And in the drought, they're still pulling water from deep down in the soil. These trees... They were planted and watered and nurtured and fostered in very low suffering. They were given all that they needed, low roots, and they still looked good until we get a little drought. That's why they look so shriveled up. Deep roots, healthy fruit. Okay, suffering is going to drive you to deep roots. It's God withholding a little bit of water here and there. He might be saying it's time for you to dig deep into me. Like, I need you close to me like you wouldn't believe. There's stuff coming, and you're going to be in a community where I'm telling you, you're going to feel like it's a spiritual drought, and I need you deep-rooted. Let's work together to grow you deep in me, the one who is the beginning and the end, who died for us and rose again for us. He's nurturing us, and he's gardening with us. He's growing us, and he might be saying, I need some deep roots with you. Let's grow it a little deeper. Hey, hurting is not fun, and I get that. But when we start shifting our understanding of this world and we say, it's not about me and my comfort, it's about my king. Lord, if you need deeper roots, then you grow them deep. And I'm here, and I'm going to stay faithful no matter what. That 
is an unbelievable follower of Jesus Christ. That's what you and I are called to. What's your struggle where God's withholding the water a little bit? Think about it. What is it that kind of gets your attention? Leaves you hurting. Don't let that be your opportunity to complain about the king. But instead grow close to the king. Deep roots. Way down deep with him. To God be the glory, okay? So first, we worship him. Second, the commendation. Stay true to Christ even in the midst of suffering. Even in the midst of suffering. Number three now, the criticism. Do not compromise the church with false teaching or false living. Do not compromise the church with false teaching or false living. This criticism is not leveled against Smyrna at all. In fact, Smyrna has no criticism. I love this about the church. When you go through it, Smyrna is the one that they're being told, unbelievable, way to suffer. Like, I I see your tribulation and you're hanging in there. Way to go. And I'm telling you, you hang in there to the end crown of life. Now, remember, we go back last week to Ephesus, right? And they were challenged. Where's your first love? Will you get back with me? It's not about being about the truth. It's about being with the one who is truth. And if you don't, I'll take away your lampstand. And Ephesus, by 500 AD, was fading fast. By 1400, the entire place was desolate. No people, no church. Ephesus was gone. Smyrna, the church is still there today. There's still believers in the town of Smyrna. The town is thriving. The church is thriving. There is a believership that has continued on. God said, well done. Way to get it, way to grow. So Smyrna has no criticism. So we jump right to Pergamum, verse 14. Criticism here. But I have a few things against you, Pergamum. I can't imagine those are words you want to hear from Jesus Christ. You know? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Like that's, especially if the word thou is used, because then you know it's, right? Must be godly if we're talking King James, right? I grew up King James. It's like built into me. I can't help speak it. When I quote it, I quote it, okay? I love the fact that God works with us to lift us up. But more than that, he works with us to challenge us where things need to adjust. He's with us in the thick and the thin of things. He says, I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food and sacrifice to idols and practice sexual immorality. I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold. Notice he doesn't say every single one of you like the church is whacked over there. I don't know what's going on. He didn't say that. He said there are some in your midst who are holding to the teaching of Balaam. And here's one of the implications of that. Why are you putting up with that in your midst? Be careful. You need to stand for the doctrine and for the discipline and for the direction Of where God's calling you. Those three D's. Hey, just so you know, those three D's are the three D's that our elders work on every week. Our our itinerary every week, our agenda is doctrine, then discipline, then direction. How are we doing with doctrine? Do we have any issues we need to look at? Is everything going well? 
discipline. Is there anybody hurting? Is there somebody we need to come alongside of? Somebody where we need to step in Matthew 18 style and be working with them. Direction. Where do we need to be headed next? And what's God challenging us with? And that's what we walk through. Healthy church. Absolutely going to walk through those pieces. He's saying here. Dude, are you questioning the doctrine around there? Do you know what's being taught? Stop being patient with that. It's wrong. Please get it out of there. Okay? That's really what he's saying. If you hear a little bit of tone when you're reading this, then you read it right. Okay? There's tone in this. We've got something against you. There are some there who are holding to the teaching of Balaam. Right? Now, a good Jew would go, Oh! Because the story of Balaam is there's this prophet. He's sort of an enigma too, quite frankly. We don't quite get the guy because on the one hand, he's like, just a second. Let me check with God. What does he think? God, what should I say? What do you want me to do? Oh, you don't want me to say that? You want me to say something else? Good. I'm there. And then right after it, he's like, forget God. Like, I'm not sure I totally understand where the guy's at and what's going on. Maybe he resembles us a lot. Let that settle a moment. But Balaam in the moment is saying, hey, God. What do you want said to these guys? This guy, Balak, wants to go against Israel and he wants me to curse him. And God's like, yeah, not so much. Or you don't want that done. He's like, well, they're asking me. They've actually asked me three times here each time. You're telling me no. What do you want me to say? Fine, go with them, but I'll have you manage the problem as we go, right? And as Balaam goes along, this is when the donkey talks to him, right? And the donkey was basically saying, like, dude, do you see what I'm seeing? You know what I mean? It's like the... Wake up. You're not getting what God's doing. And in the end, as he begins to grasp which way he needs to head, and he doesn't curse Israel, and he doesn't do what he's supposed to, and he doesn't bend to Balak and their pressure, and he doesn't bend to the world around him, well, he's starting to take some heat. And quite frankly, it isn't very fruitful for him personally. And so what does he do? Numbers 31 and 35. He actually goes back and he teaches Balak, if I'm not going to curse them directly then here's how you can subvert them indirectly. You bring in things that will trip them up. You bring in idols and maybe food that's been offered to idols. You bring in, you know, prostitutes and you start talking about sexual idolatry at different levels and you let these guys go celebrating the way the world does. And just bring it in on the side at first and then just let it come in a little more and a little more and I'm telling you it'll take them down. And that's what he did and that's... What happened? And Israel stumbled on the junk that was brought before him. Be careful not to let the stuff of the world hang too close. All of a sudden, it'll start making sense to you. And then you start walking away from Christ and you start doing the things of the world. The challenge here was don't be like Balaam and don't hold to those teaching of Balaam where you trip people up with the junk of the world coming in. Verse 15, so also... You have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Here's that word again. We saw it last week. We don't exactly know what these guys are about. And there are some commentaries who've taken a guess based on the etymology of the word. I can tell you this. It's not about Christ's character because they're against him. Christ even said, I hate them in the last section. They're against me and they're warring against me. So I'm telling you this. If it's not about Christ and his kingdom, it's not about loving the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. It's not about loving others. It's not about all that stuff coming together in a way that glorifies God. It's going to be, let's glorify self in the midst and let's raise us up. And however they went about doing that, they were letting it live amongst them. And it was taking its toll. 
All right, let me just ask you a thought on the side here. What are some of those worldly teachings that we could let creep into the church that get a little too close to us that could start tripping us up? I mean, I'll just think of a few right offhand here. What about the view of marriage and sexuality? You know, who cares if I actually stand before a minister and say some magic words? I mean, I care about her. And so we don't take those vows before the Lord that makes this a covenant that's honoring him where the marriage is actually looking and symbolizing Christ in the church. And all of a sudden it's become nothing but a joke. And then we start trying to figure out things, right? Now we've created problems. If we really don't think very highly of marriage, then what do I do if I'm, well, if we're maybe already living together? How do I handle that? You know, the pragmatics are going to scream at you, right? Just so you know, we're not Harvest Practical Chapel. We're Harvest Bible Chapel. So when we give advice, you're going to find it often comes right out of here, okay? So I'm telling you, when we start talking about marriage and how to handle marriage, and when we talk about living together and moving out for a season to honor each other and then coming back together in a way that honors him, and it's coming right out of his word, God, may you be glorified. Let's not let the teachings of the world become our practical thinking. Let's let the teachings of God Almighty and his word be our practical thinking. Amen? Like that's what we're talking about. And we better be real on it. It's a slippery slope and it starts very subtly. So think about it. Like what are the world's teachings that you might be grabbing onto and holding there? And it's tending to pull you away from your commitments with him. Do not. Go on the slippery slope away from him. Watch out for those teachings. Stay true to him and do not compromise. Otherwise, the church will be compromised. Notice, well, what do I do if I am in those things, Tim? He answers it, verse 16. He says, therefore, like when we see the therefore, we say, What's the therefore, therefore, right? It's tying this piece together with the last piece. And so all of the stuff we just read, and there's stuff that's going on, and there's sin being taught, and there's people being deranged and pulled away. And, and so what do we do? Well, because of that, one word. What's the word? What's the word? Repent. Repent. Okay? Repent. That's a biblical word, Tim. Help me understand it in today's setting. I will. Thanks for asking. Repent. It means recognize, first of all. Recognize it like God recognizes it. See it as God sees it. Sin is sin. It's against his character. Recognize what's wrong. Number two, confess it. This is repentance, okay? First is recognizing it, then confessing it. Lord, please forgive me. I was wrong here. It needs to go. You need to be glorified. So repent. First is recognize. Second is confess. And last, let it change your behavior. Change of mind that results in a change of behavior is a great definition for repentance. A change of mind that results in a change of behavior. Okay? Repent. Notice that confession here is confess to God Almighty. Okay? 
Like when you go and you talk to another human being about a sin and, and when James 5 says confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you might be healed It's not going and saying will you please act like a priest and an intermediary for me to god almighty It's saying go to him and say dude. I need help And, and here's where I am and i'm wrong for it and I want out of it and now somebody's there to hold you accountable Okay That's what it means Be careful the confession is vertically the relationship is vertically the power is found vertically. We must go after our relationship with Jesus Christ. It is about coming together with each other, caring for each other, rallying around each other. But I'm telling you, it must be first vertical. Man, we got to get that. Lord, I want to be so about you and I want to be so on fire for you and I want you so celebrated in my life. And this thing is not. I'm done with it. Please forgive me. And now it needs to affect my actions. I need to turn away from it and be headed another direction. I'm done with that. Okay? Repent. That's what you do. What do I do when I'm doing the wrong thing? Stop doing that. That's what he's saying, right? Repent. It's kind of obvious, but let's make sure we get it. It has to do with heart and action. If not, uh uh-oh. Everybody listening? If not, Jesus Christ talking here. I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. The sword of Jesus Christ's mouth will be used to war within the church, picking off those who are taking apart the church with heresy and misaction. Are you hearing it? His word, the same word that spoke and the universe came into existence. The same word that will speak, Revelation 19, 15, and it will end all rebellion we are talking about that word coming into the church and moving amongst and speaking against and ending rebellion know this man we better be in love with jesus christ and going after him and he does discipline those he loves and this word might even be harsher than a discipline it could very well be he's dealing with those not trusting in him in and amongst the church and dealing firmly and harshly with that Man, we better take it seriously. He loves his church. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. That there is a gate from hell and it's going down. Are you hearing it? Like that's what he's saying. We need to be cautious. We need to be real. We need to be energetic and passionate about it. Lord, you are passionate about the holiness of your church. So are we. Man, we are too often quick to quote the word grace. And not quick to quote the word holiness. That's what he's calling us to do. Both side by side. Like yes it is about righteousness and holiness. And yes it is about grace. And what an amazing God who clothes us. With the very righteousness of Christ. And then raises us up into a position. Where we're being changed to look more like him. Wow. What a privilege. To know that God. Do not compromise the church with false teaching. Or false living. There's a current pulling at all times. Fight against it. That's what he's saying. Hey, this past summer we uh, we went out to Colorado and uh, we did some white water rafting. And uh, they said, hey, you know, just so you know, it's the current's a little hotter than normal. So you can go on the full class four rapids, but it is a little more aggressive than usual. And there was this guy standing right behind me, and uh, he's like, dude, it's so awesome. You got to go class four, right? And I'm like, really? So you've been on and you're going again? He goes, oh, yeah. 
signed up, went yesterday morning. We're going down. First rapid, I get flipped out. The boat pushes up against me, jams me against a rock, huge bruise on my spine. I got to go back and lay in the in my hotel room all day. I'm back here to get my money's worth. I'm like, we'll take class three. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Like, I got two little girls. I'm not putting them through that. I'm worried enough about me, let alone them getting flung out, right? So we go class three, and we're going down these rapids. And you barely have to paddle. I mean, you're cruising. The water's up high. And as we're going along, we're hitting some pretty hefty rapids. And Alyssa and I are up front, so we're getting just covered with water as we go down under. It was a blast, right? And at one point, he goes, hey, we're going to let you get out. And you can just kind of coast with the with your life vest on and go down. And then we'll kind of pull you out. You swim to the side sort of thing. And... uh so we get in the water. It was pretty chilly. We jumped in this chilly water and uh, we're kind of going down. Okay, that water was cruising. And so you're kind of, you're thinking like, oh, that would be nice. We'll just sort of float along and we'll like enjoy. And you're looking around. You get in and you're like, ah! I mean, you're flying down this thing. It's like swim. And you're swimming to the side. You're trying to get to an eddy. He's grabbing the littler ones and pulling them. I'm like, I'm little enough. Pull me, you know? <laughs> We're swimming to the side. We finally get to the side and you get to that eddy and you can stand up now. And you're like standing in water about this high. The water's blowing past and you're going. I mean, you're like a mile up. It's hard to breathe out there. It's not because I'm out of shape, right? (sighs) Kind of out of shape, maybe. And uh, we get done and we started talking about that current and how hard it pulled. I'm telling you, you live and dwell where Satan's throne is. I'm telling you, the synagogue of Satan is at work. I'm telling you, the current's pulling. Get ready to swim and swim hard. Like, that's what he's saying. No compromise. All out. Lord, I need to move where you need me to move. May you be glorified. May he empower you to put it all on the line. So the question, how hard are you swimming? Are you ready to battle? Are you ready to take it on for him and his glory? That's the challenge from the letter. All right. So first is worship him. Second, the commendation. Stay true to him with all you've got. The challenge then, simply don't compromise. And last, the closure is listen to the challenge of the spirit and focus on eternity with him. Listen to the challenge of the spirit and focus on eternity with him. Notice verse 11, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear. Do you have an ear? Do you have an ear? Okay, same thing as last week. Everybody cup your ear. He who has an ear, let him hear. The angel is speaking, and the Spirit says to the churches. He says, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The one who conquers. And then notice he says again, um, at the end... Of verse 17. He says. He who has an ear. Let him hear. The spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers. I will give some of the hidden manna. I will give a white stone. And a new name is written on that stone. That no one knows. Except the one who receives it. The second death. Remember the one who conquers. Is the one who loves Jesus Christ. And he's guaranteed the overcoming. First John 5. What's guaranteed? You will not experience the second death. You are not going to experience that hell that's talked about in Revelation 21, where we, those who don't trust in Christ, they go for eternity. That's not yours. You're safe. An eternity with me 
No second death. And he says at the end here then in verse 17, I will have hidden manna for you, food that will feed you. The food that you need to survive, I've got it. Trust me, the spiritual food you need is mine and I'm giving it to you. He says, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on it. I got to tell you, this metaphor, uh, not really known what it stands for. Okay, there's a lot of options out there. There's a couple that I found that are interesting. White stones were often used as invites to big parties, big, high-end, classy parties. You get this white stone with your name on it, okay? But this one has a private name written on it. There's also another way it was given out. The white stone was given out to those who were running a race and won, and they were invited to a victor's banquet, okay? It's sort of the, hey, you're with me, you win. Like, I have you absolutely at the table, and here's the name, and check this, it's a name written on it that only you and he know. Jesus has a name for you that's between you and him. That's personal. He's looking to reach out with you and have a deep walk with you that will last for forever. May we celebrate eternity with him. That's our Savior. That's the provision of our Savior and the opportunity of knowing him. The challenge from this passage is simply this. Stay true. No compromise. And celebrate your walk with him. It's an amazing privilege. He's got a name for you that he's going to share with you. And it's between you and him. Wow. What a God. Let's pray.